So then, just as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live in your lives, rooted uh, him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith, and as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow, hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental uh, spiritual forces and this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all fullness of, day, fullness of the deity lives in the bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the herd over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried in him in him baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working God who raised from the dead. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made us alive in Christ. He forgave us of all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It's, uh, it's Oscar build-up time. It's exciting. There's a lot of intense, serious, interesting films around, and I am grabbing every single one of them that I can. I'm loving it. And do you know what? Unlike Josh, I'm not going to spoil the plot of many of them as well. I might give you trailer quotes. I'm not going to spoil the plot. I went to see The Darkest Hour this week. And uh, that's a film about Winston Churchill in the toughest moment, one of the toughest moments, um, when he was working out what to do around the evacuation of Dunkirk. And it stars Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, who I see as a sort of wispy, thin-faced villain from most of the films I grew up with, um, who was a bit scary in some of them, but he had this incredible prosthetic around his face inhabiting Winston Churchill. And, and I realized it was moving me when I, I felt myself welling up when he starts yelling, you cannot reason with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. And I've, I'm, there's going to be a lot of this ringing part. I'm going to be, there's a, there's a lot of this coming. And it's amazing. And it's little Gary Oldman doing Winston Churchill. And he's probably going to win an Oscar for it. That's a spoiler, I hope. But this impersonation goes on all the time. It's brilliant, isn't it? And I think as a speaker, I think as someone just day-to-day -day life, impersonation can be something that we just slip into really easily. You know, sometimes as a, as a Glaswegian, I can lean in to Billy Connolly very, very quickly. And I think of him back when I hear, oh, Jim, Jimmy, Jim, 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 <laughs> Muppet Treasure Island. Or maybe, maybe I think of, I, I lived in Australia for a time at uh, a church called Hillsong Church, and at Hillsong Church, you had Pastor Brian, and he was a powerful communicator of the Word of God. And he would say, my wife, Bobby, and I, 30 years ago, we planted this church in Jesus' name. And I, and I would be quite tempted to inhabit a bit of, a bit of Brian. Maybe coming closer uh, to home, there's, uh, you know, I wonder if I leant in like Carl Martin and whispered and asked, what would it look like for God to change your life 
right here, right now. <laughs> or maybe I'd be like Dave and I'd go up and down and up and down and up and down and... It's bonkers! Dave's the hardest one to do, admittedly. It's so easy to do that. Maybe we get even closer and sometimes it feels like we're impersonating ourselves. I, like, I, admit, I have moments up here with the guitar and you'll, you'll kind of be leaning into a song and I'll, I'll try and say something, but for some reason it just kind of comes out funny. I feel like I'm just pausing with a kind of aggressive look of just wondering what to say, but also it's kind of losing the room. We can spend our whole day impersonating other people. And wouldn't it be nice if spiritual health could just be discovering at its very, very, very basic and core level all of who we actually are in a place of health with God? Tonight will be a pretty simple message, followed by a pretty simple exercise, I hope. It's not about just listening to a talk and engaging with that. Whatever you use to, to take notes or engage with church, um, if that's your phone, if that's a notebook, it's time to bring it out. We're going to do some, some work tonight. We're going to engage with the living God. I get bored if we just come for a talk. And if God doesn't show up and speak, then this is going to be a really sort of pleasant evening that you came out in the snow from. Tonight, simple. We're going to fire the false self, fire the impersonator. And then we're going to ask, what does our true self get to keep and start and stop. It's so easy to carve up our souls and carve up spirituality into measurable little pieces of pie, physical health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. But spiritual health can easily just end up kind of ticking a list of some behaviors. Read my Bible, tick. Did it before 8 a.m., double tick. Went to church, tick. Twice, double check. Served three times, never sat in. Tick, tick, tick. Went to connect group, had deep insight on the passage we were chatting through. Bam, no one replied. <laughs> Stunned the room in silence. Very good. <laughs> tick. Next one, went to work, didn't swear at my boss. Tick. Excellent. But what could having a, a healthy spiritual life look like at every level of our life? not just in behaviors. What would it look like at our, our core purpose and our sense of identity, our values, the beliefs that we have, the things we tell ourselves a thousand times a day, our capabilities, what we gift, what we serve with, our behaviors, our actions, the environments that we are around. What does healthy spiritual life look like in there? I wonder if there's something around just living as children of the Father in the purposes of the Father with a true self-identity sourced in Jesus Christ, our values steeped in the kingdom of God, empowered to act by the Holy Spirit as the hands and the feet of Jesus in the place in which we serve and the world in which we live. So what's at stake here? Why is... Why is Paul writing into this? Why does he need to tell people that they're different now? We have a church a little bit at risk here, and you can see Paul is, is shouting out. It's church in Colossae. It wasn't a city that we know has dominance of a certain sphere or industry. 
It's just a normal place. Loads of ideas spinning around. And there's this church planted there, and Paul's, he's basically starting to get arrested a bit more frequently, and his micromanagement's not that on point, and they didn't have apps to manage the church then, so he's got to write some letters, make sure they're okay. And he's inviting them. Don't follow these new rulers, these shiny philosophies that come in and out and sound really tempting. Stay with Christ. Remember what brought you in. Remember Christ. He says, live, become rooted in him. It's this sense that says literally walk about in Christ. Explore life in him. In his fullness that he brought. That fullness, it's like a ship crammed with cargo and soldiers and sailors. Everything in it, everything's there. The fullness of Christ. And he starts with that quick warning. Don't go back on me. Don't go fake on us. Don't turn off to this shiny new philosophy. The true you was at stake here. The true self. When I was 16, I started to notice something really interesting in the mirror. I started to notice my hair would go this way. A little bit more each day. A little bit more. I dyed it blonde. I did everything I could. I shot for my, my hair targets. Didn't work out. And the hair just went this way, this way, this way. A little bit later, I started to move into the next phase. It's called denial maximization. Some of you in the room are here tonight with that. Maybe that's cool. We can pray for that. (laughs) Denial maximization, it's about getting a regular haircut, making sure that you're maximizing what's going on up here and stopping this from, from, you know, looking too old. I then hit the next phase, maybe a number of years later. I'm kind of 24 at this point. And, And then you're into kind of a, a sort of fair austerity policy. You're just trying to, you're really just trying to get by. And uh, so I went to, to visit John the barber. John was a blunt man. He was a miner. And uh, John was fairly frank in his opinion of what I should do with my hair. And so I would go every month, and then I went every two weeks, and then I would, I would go. He was a good chat, and I was the minister's son, so sometimes he did it for free because he's a good guy. And then there was one day, and admittedly, it was taking John about four minutes to deal with what was left. And I said, John, it's time. (laughs) I'm ready. It's time to go. John went, finally! I said, let's go. Number one. Big step. John went, number one? Zero, son. (laughs) 0.5. Number one, you'll be in here every week. John was a help for me. He was a guide. And he, he showed me my true self. He pulled the reality for me. And he was someone who just kept me in check. Spiritual health is about firing the unhealthy impersonator inside of us. Spiritual health is about getting, facing down ourselves, real honestly, every level of life. And inviting God to do some good stuff. So Paul goes on in this passage, and there's a really key moment in in verse 9 that jumps out at me, where he speaks about the the flesh, the old self, the whole thing got taken off in Christ. And there's a word here I want us to zone in on that just could mean so much for every one of us in the next six days, seven days of our life. The word here is when he says, take off, and it's the flesh, 
original word is sarks. And it runs this original intention, this original idea of the ego, or that we might call the false self. Maybe that's the you that everyone else gets to encounter, the separate self. It's not the sin that we're doing, it's the thing we create to cover that up. It's the thing that we create to just be in the world, the cover story, the really, really, really nice person that we might have created for church, the one who maybe we couldn't stomach ourselves or we just had anger or shame or fear and we decided to be good, we decided to be nice or we decided to be impressive. We could call this our ego, just this layer out here, the thing that just gets to interact with the world around us. It's really useful. Maybe it's, it's like the opposite from the loudspeaker in your head. Then, hey, that's such a great idea. I hate that idea. If I can just be better, I'll be loved. Starts writing his messages. If I just won't do what they say, I'll have peace. I'll never trust anyone again. Or if I run away, if I hide, if I dive in. Oh, their theology is so wrong. Many of us, we crave authenticity in our faith. We just want church to be real. Like, why can't they just be real, man? I just want real. I'm done with fake. And we're like, man, if we brought out real in church, it'd be a mess. It'd be amazing. <laughs> but the idea of creating the false self, something that just keeps the real at bay, it's been around for years, and it's a journey that um, we all get to go on. You can see it in this. It's the taking off of the false self, the taking off of the separate self, and welcoming all of God into who we are. Loads of writers have been exploring this for a long time. C.S. Lewis wrote, the prayer preceding all prayers is, may it be the real I who speaks, may it be the real thou that I speak to. Father Richard Rohr goes into this saying, now, we would probably translate sarks as ego or small self, which would be much closer to the actual meaning. Merton rightly recognized that it was not the body that had to die, but the false self that we don't need anyway. Simply a substitute for our deeper and deepest truth. It's a useful and even needed part of ourselves, but it is not all. The danger is when we think we are only our false, separate, small self. Our attachment to false self must die to allow true self, our basic and unchangeable identity in God, to live fully and freely. Thomas Merton continues this, explores it, saying, every one of us is shadowed by an illusory person, a false self. This is the person that I want myself to be, but who cannot exist, because God, because truth, light, knows nothing about him. And to be unknown to God is altogether too much privacy. My false and private self is the one who wants to exist outside the reach of God's will and God's love, outside of reality and outside of life. And such a self cannot help but be an illusion. We're not very good at recognizing illusions, least of all the ones we cherish most about ourselves, the ones we're born and raised with and which feed the roots of sin. For most of the people in the world, there's no greater subjective reality than this false self of theirs which cannot exist. 
a life devoted to maintaining and expanding this false self. This shadow is what is called a life of sin. It's pretty useful. It's kept us alive so far, kept us safe from we were kids when we encountered trouble. If anger or fear or shame is kicking in, then we designed some personalities to, to counteract that, kind of put on this false self thing. But the trouble with stealing yourself, Friedrich Buchner writes, against the harshness of reality is that the same steel that secures your life against being destroyed secures your life also against being opened up and transformed. May we grab to false self in so many different ways. All got our tools. Maybe it's perfecting the world around you. Maybe it's needing to be needed, helping. Maybe it's that we romanticize about what's always missing. Maybe we hide or we dive down into knowledge and study alone. Maybe we just fear the worst and push the worst onto all people. Maybe we ignore it with pure unbridled positivity and enthusiasm. Maybe we just challenge or just steamroll everyone in our way. Or maybe we just try and keep peace so that that inner calm or inner stillness doesn't get disrupted. Hey, I know mine looks like being incredibly agreeable. I know that I, I just try and hold every single opinion I possibly can. I just confuse the life out of myself and others. Maybe I'll just reframe things that are actually wrong or provide conflict as just a different opinion and I'll find another way. Maybe I just want to ignore it and have a nap half the time. And I know this showed up for me when we went to record a few weeks ago. This is a photograph of us in the studio. And um, it looks like a very amicable kind of group moment. Oh, what do we think about this? I think in my head there, I was thinking, how can I erase that part of the song without offending the room? And I, I think we can put ourselves into situations and it calls out the false self. And so in the process of this old Carol's recording, which we, we did before Christmas, I ran out of room for that. I ran out of room to be completely agreeable and just try and please everyone. And, and we were fairly democratic in the process, apparently. But I know that I had a 40-minute argument with James McSporn about whether to put a piano slide in the song or not. It was a solid 40 minutes that lasted maybe then another six weeks. There's no piano slide in the song. <laughs> I had a solid 10 or 15 minute argument with Rachel um, over whether a melody would go up like this or that. And we left Alice Green in a vocal booth just wondering why she wasn't allowed to do anything. And there was a joy in discovering a more honest and a more real, safer, trusted self. It gets turned into gold. The joy of discovering this true self is realizing that Christ took off the false self for us and then stuck it on the cross. He stuck off the need to be fake on the cross. And this is the joy that we have. That need to, to create something just to, get, just to keep the anger back or the fear back or the shame back, that need gets lifted in Jesus. 
Louis Giglio writes, the gospel is so much more than a self-help message. Without Christ, we, we weren't just bad. We weren't unchurch. We didn't need a little help. We were dead. And being dead is a huge problem. Dead people can't do a thing to help themselves, not one thing. And so we see that the issue with creating that, that flesh self, that false self of running away from Christ is not that um, we, were, we were a bit, a bit bad and God's trying to just make us a bit nicer. We were dead. We were done. And God brought us into life. This resurrection life that the passage goes on and continues to speak with. Raised from the dead, raised with Christ. And your resurrection, it doesn't end with you. You're waking up to who your true self is. It doesn't end with you. We end up resurrecting everything around us that we start to get involved with. The health in us, spiritual health in us, is going to cause life in others. Everywhere you go, you're going to leak resurrection. It's, it's going to be annoying. You might walk into a room and you will be the kindest person in that room. You will bring life to someone. You will listen to the voice that's been stuck down for a long time. You won't be able to sneeze without blessing people. So when you join in this adventure of resurrection, you start to join in the resurrection of the world around you. Spiritual health looks like resurrection happening from your core purpose, the thing you can't even quite articulate. And it ends up bringing life to the environment around you. You take off the church self and the work self and the home self, the really nice church self and the really grumpy home self and the really professional, successful work self. And our health in, in God becomes core. We find our purpose and we live like crazy from that. So home becomes a place that grace shows up at the dinner table and at the bottom of the coffee cup as you listen to someone in struggle. You create art because you found purpose in the creator who's an artist. Your fear becomes a story that might liberate others. Your anger you've held back becomes an energy to transform the world for the goodness and the kingdom of God. <clears throat> God's restoring us to, to health our true self at every level of our lives. The invitation's there. The work's already done. We took off the false self, buried it, raised you with Christ. It's an invitation. And what if God would bring us that health in our, in our whole self? What, what does it actually look like then? Really, literally, to have that health in our whole life. Spiritual health has been maybe relegated to that, that area. We just started behaviors. Hey, I nailed some spiritual disciplines. I nailed my Bible reading plan. Got my church rhythm going. Got serving. Loving it. Prayed with my spouse. Tick. But what if it started to, to get the whole way into our lives? I'm going to invite the, the bands up, the epic rock band. And um, we're going to just dive into this. We're going to actually engage with God and say, come Holy Spirit. How can it be at every level of my life? What could you keep doing, God? What's already going great? What could you start doing, God? Or would you just want to stop? And we're going to look at it at each level. So I'm going to invite Libby up as well. And, uh, and we're going to take some time just now praying through some of these from our very core purpose.
that shapes our identity, that then creates beliefs and values which shape what we're able to do, which sets up our behavior, which sets up the environments around us. We're going to start in our purpose and just say, God, what do you want to keep? What do you want to start? What do you want to stop? Good time now just, just to grab those, take a photo of it, take some notes, whatever it is, and we're going to pray on each one. And they're just simple questions. What do you want to keep? What do you need to start? God, what do you want to stop? And if we're really honest with these, if we just face it down with our truest self, the God-created image of God in us, what's going to happen? So we've got the team just to start playing behind us. And um, let's pray. Let's listen to God. Let's engage with who he is just now. Holy Spirit of God, we begin to respond to you right now. We choose not for this space to become uh, an observation gallery or a stadium stand, but the pitch where we all get on and everyone gets to play and everyone gets to engage with who you are. And we all have a journey with you, God. So I would ask you just now, everyone, in your sense of purpose, what do you want to keep? What do you need to start? What do you need to stop? For some of us, it's time to actually invite Jesus to be our purpose for the first time, to start a connection with him. For some of us, our purpose has been wandering and we need to stop and listen to God. And others of us have just discovered that and we keep going. Let's take a couple of moments now and our sense of purpose, what do we need to keep? What do we need to start? What do we get to stop?